You were born in a place where poverty is rampant and where things that many of us take for granted, like basic health care, simply do not exist. You know you are different, that your body is not like others. But by the time you learn what's wrong, permanent damage has been done. But you never quit your campaign to make sure that this won't happen to someone else. How do you keep going? You're listening to 2233, a podcast of Exchange Stories. My aunt walks up to this lady who's been sitting next to us in the queue and says, we have to come back in two days. Can we please stay over at your house? And these are the kind of things that my aunt had to do, my mother and my grandmother. I was raised in the rural part of South Africa. We didn't have... Can you please cut that? I didn't introduce myself. This week, a tragic misdiagnosis, the perils of being poor and disabled, and advocating for the empowerment of children. Join us on a journey from South Africa to the United States so that others may live with dignity. It's 2233. We report what happens in the United States, warts and all. Exchanges shaped who I am. When you get to know these people, they're not quite like you. You read about them. They are people very much like ourselves. And oh, that's what we call cultural exchange. Ooh, yes. My name is Kajiswa Exi Makashalala. I'm from the Eastern Cape in South Africa. I was raised in the rural part of South Africa. There were no hospitals. There were a few clinics. And the one closest hospital we had was far from our home. My family had realized that I was different from the other children. And... They went to the clinic to try and find out what's wrong and the clinic didn't know what it was and they sent us over to the nearest hospital which was far from home and um, they didn't know what it was because they had a shortage of staff, shortage of doctors so they sent me to another hospital. Now we go back home they have to find money to travel to another town for a hospital. And we get there and um, the diagnosis is polio. But it was a misdiagnosis. And I do not blame the doctors because they were short-staffed. This was during the times of um, apartheid. So they sent us over to another hospital. Now, when we get to the other hospital, which is a travel of like five, six hours from home, the doctor is not available. Then we have to sleep over at somebody's house, a stranger's house. We come back the following day. We are in the queue or the line the whole day. And by the time it's our turn to see the doctor, there's an emergency. The doctor who is supposed to be in the family medicine is now rushed to surgery because shortage of staff. (music) 
and we are given an appointment for two days later. We have to some, stay at somebody else's house. This went on for a while. Eventually, when you see the doctor, the doctor says, well, we do not have CT scans here. This is not polio, but we do not have scans. So I'm going to transfer you to another hospital. Now, this is in a different province. I have to go back home. And my family has to find money for and a relative for us to travel to another city. So another province and another city. This goes on until about four years later when I finally get diagnosed with kyphoscoliosis. There's nothing they can do, so we go to another province. We go to another province, and yet another province, and yet another province. Until eventually, we get to go to Johannesburg. At this time, my mother had just gotten a job in Johannesburg. Now, the process of South African medicine is that you need to start at a clinic before you can go to a hospital because our hospitals are overpopulated. And this is post-apartheid. So we go to a clinic, we queue the whole day because there's a lot of sick people, very few hospitals, very few nurses and very few doctors. Then we finally get to see a nurse who's going to write us a letter. So we stood in a queue just to get a letter that says we cannot help her, so we're transferring her to a hospital. We get to the local hospital a few days later. We're in the queue the whole day. Then we can't see the doctor, so we're given an appointment card. We come back a few days later, and the doctor says, I'll have to transfer you to Johannesburg General Hospital, which is now the Charlotte Makhlaike Hospital. We go there for many days on end. My mother was new at her job. She couldn't afford to not go to work because she'd lose her job and she wouldn't have be able to pay for the medical bills. So one of my aunts had to come up to Joburg to live with us and take me to this ongoing appointments to the hospital. So we'd go on a Tuesday, then we'd go on a Thursday. Because the hospitals are so packed, they'll allocate days for children who want to see an orthopedic must come on a certain day. So if you come on a Wednesday, you'll be told, oh, that we were dealing with that yesterday. Can you come back next week? And that was the story for a long time. Eventually, I got to see a doctor who could help. And at this time, this medical doctor who was from Nigeria tells us that because of how old I am and how many years I've had this, they can't really reverse my condition. They can't reverse what I'd become. If I was born in the United States or in Russia or in, in Europe somewhere, I would be able to walk today like other people. By the time of my diagnosis then, the only thing doctors could do was to try and prevent my body from deteriorating. And one of the things they did say was that because of the time and because of my age, over the next few years, I might deteriorate, both physically and mentally. Uh, I had the operation. After that, I had to be taken to ICU. I had a spinal cord operation. To my surprise and to my family's surprise, when they came to see me, I was in the men's ICU because the PED ICU was packed. When I was in the ward, I would lose my friends. 
uh, I'd have a friend today and tomorrow the mother is packing and I'd ask my aunt why are they why is she leaving and where's my friend my aunt had become a pro at telling me that my friends have gone to heaven I had gotten so accustomed to my friends going to heaven that I even thought that when it's my turn to go to surgery I might also go to heaven and my mom knowing the medical system in South Africa she knew that there was a possibility signing for a child to go to surgery in a public hospital is a risk and before i went to surgery my mother explained the idea of heaven and she made it sound so beautiful that i was at peace with going to heaven i was 8 but i was looking forward to heaven When I woke, woke up and I wasn't in heaven, there was a bit of a disappointment because heaven was so beautiful that I thought, hmm, I'd like to go there. After waking up from surgery, I continued to lose friends. Over the next four years, I had a series of surgeries on all over my body, especially on my right leg. And sometimes the healing process would be three, four months. And now that I'm older and I'm doing research and I'm watching television, I see that surgeries that would heal in 3 months if I was in a different country or if I was in a private hospital which my parents couldn't afford I would have healed in a few weeks or days sometimes Then I went to school the schools I went to because they were good schools my mother wanted me to have a good education but they didn't have elevators they just had steps so sometimes i would get extremely tired and miss classes because my back couldn't take it when our government schools i was in a government school public school they do not accommodate ch- children with disabilities the nature of things in south africa is that you'd find a 12 year old who doesn't have a wheelchair and every time that they need to go to the bathroom they have to wait for their sibling they have to wait for their parent what does that do to their dignity if at age 12 you want to just do what people do without having to think if you need to go to the bathroom right now you won't think twice you just stand up and you go to the bathroom but there's children in south africa and i believe in many parts of africa that do not have that liberty parents lose their jobs because they have to take care of a child that could be in school but can't be in school because the school cannot accommodate them our continent africa it's taking disability so lightly so lightly i got here and when i was at kansas state university even the rooms have braille on the sides we don't have that in south africa there's ramps if if you want to get off the sideway sidewalk into the road there's a ramp for a wheelchair in South Africa we don't have that so when you get to a, when you want to get off a sidewalk there has to be somebody to help you off your wheelchair it's tough and there are things that i didn't even know we could do until i got here right now at the hotel that we at they've uh, given me a a scooter because they understand that their hotel is so big so they have a scooter for people who'd like it 
We don't have that back at home. A lot of children with disabilities fail at school. And I was a very smart kid in school. I got A's and all of that. But I know that it, it was by the grace of God because imagine you have to lose time of classes because your back can't take walking up to the next class. And that's the fate that most South African children living with disabilities face. Some of them don't even get go to school because they don't have a wheelchair, so they have no means of going from home to school. I've taken it upon myself to do what I can to advocate for people living with disabilities, especially children. Because if your dignity is stripped at the age of 12, really what can we expect from you as an adult? That's my story. Twenty-two thirty-three is produced by the Collaboratory, an initiative within the U.S. State Department's Bureau of Educational and Cultural Affairs, better known as ECA. My name is Christopher Worst. I'm the director of the Collaboratory. Twenty-two thirty-three is named for Title Twenty-two, Chapter Thirty-three of the U.S. Code, the statute that created ECA. And our stories come from participants of U.S. government-funded international exchange programs. In this episode. Katiswa told us of her life experience and how she was motivated to become an activist for disabled youth, which eventually led to her being nominated for and visiting the United States through ECA's Mandela Washington Fellowship, part of the U.S. government's Young African Leaders Initiative, or YALI. For more information about ECA exchange programs, like the Mandela Washington Fellowship, check out eca.state.gov. And we encourage you to subscribe to 2233 wherever you find your podcasts. You can also write to us at ecacollaboratory at state.gov. That's E-C-A-C-O-L-L-A-B-O-R-A-T-O-R-Y at state.gov. We are indebted this week to Katiswa Makashalala for sharing her very personal story. Manny Pereira did the interview. I edited it. Featured music during this segment was Roof Over My Head by Steve Klink and Dark White by Stephen Siebert. Music at the top of each episode is Sebastian by How the Night Came, and the end credit music is Two Pianos by Tagir Lius. Until next time.